so I would love for you, please, to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we've been speaking about running the race, and last week we looked at the whole subject of living daily in the promises of God. And I'd like to carry on speaking about the promises of God. And so, please turn to 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Great. For those of you at home, I hope that you found the passage. You probably have about three or four Bibles lying around. And for some of you who don't, you can just follow along because I do believe it is there for your convenience as well. Peter, as many of us know, is one of those characters that we have followed in the Bible. And all of us feel that um, we can relate to one Bible character. Um, based on their personality, their experiences, their faith's expressions. And I must say, I'm probably a little bit more similar to Peter. At times, impetuous. At times, you know, um, if something is said, I'll say something back. I guess I could be a little bit like Peter, a little bit more reactional in nature. And so I relate to the character of Peter quite well. Nathaniel in the scripture seems a little bit more placid. He was a man without any guile. John, they say he was kind of like the disciple of love, you know. And uh, so you go through the different characters. And I must say that when I read Peter's life and um, his character in the Gospel of John, but also the way that he wrote um, the letters in the New Testament as the Holy Spirit came upon him, um, I can understand where he comes from and why he writes the things that he does and why the Holy Spirit chose him to write the letters of Peter. I can also maybe not as much relate to Paul. Paul is a little bit different in nature and character. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Jewish guy. He was really schooled within the law. And um, so some of you would feel you can relate better to him. Um, and so some of the female characters within the Bible, Deborah, and uh, uh, you know, you, you've got these wonderful lady characters within Scripture uh, that is just absolutely amazing. And so all of us kind of settle in to a certain character, or at least are drawn a little bit closer to him. But Peter is probably one of the most well-known characters in the Scripture because you know, he was the kind of guy that had the spirit within him where he would take Jesus on. If you remember, when Jesus said to him that he was going to die on the cross, Peter looked at Jesus. He said, there is no way you're going to do that. He says, I won't allow that. Yeah, kind of like Peter. Yeah, I just love his character. He's a front-footed guy, but he puts his foot in his mouth often. And so at times Jesus just had to, I wanted to say gently rebuking, but Jesus didn't gently rebuke him. Jesus rebuked him strongly. 
very firmly and say he's, he's such an amazing character. Um, and so I love what he writes here to us. And um, he speaks about faith within his letters. And uh, you'll find out that he speaks in First Peter um, about that this earth is not my home, but my home is in heaven. That's what First Peter revolves around. He speaks about God using adversity in this life to strengthen our faith. And in First Peter, he also reminds us that the end of all things is near. And so he's trying to get into the hearts of the Roman Christians. They were under the tyranny of Nero at that time. And he is saying to them, the difficulties that you go through, it's designed to strengthen your faith. Not one of those popular subject matters that you and I respond to very, very well. I remember there was a period within my life where I said to Jesus, Jesus, you know what? I respond a whole lot better to prosperity than to adversity. Obviously, he hasn't taken that seriously, and he has just mapped out our roads for us. And he knows us better than what we know ourselves. And then Peter goes on to write his second letter to the church there. And um, he speaks about these great promises that God has given to us. And he speaks about these promises that are ours. But to balance out those promises that we put our faith in, he says your character needs to develop, to sustain the privilege, but also the weight that these promises put onto us. You see, promises... There's a privilege to it that someone would count us worthy enough to say, I promise I'm going to do that for you. Agreed? But with that, there is a huge amount of weight on it because we want to be responsible with those promises. I think as leaders, when the privilege of leadership is afforded to us, there is a great sense of responsibility that's placed upon us. And we need to live lives of examples amongst one another. We cannot just accept the privilege of leadership, but not carry the responsibility that is attached to it. Because people do oftentimes what we do. And... Um, the nature of promises are very, very similar. But in Second Peter, you will see that Peter teaches in this letter for us to be alert. He is saying, my friends, the end is near. He says, there are many difficulties that faces us. You know, he says that don't get too comfortable within this home because God has a heavenly home for you. But he says, in the midst of all that is happening, don't cast your eyes too wide on what's happening amongst us. He says, because earth is not my home. Heaven is. And one day, when the archangel blows the trumpet, Jesus will come in the same way that he left the earth. And people will meet him in the air. And so, Paul and Peter agrees on this point. <laughs> we will be forever with him. 
But he says, while we are here, there are certain privileges afforded us, and for us to know what those privileges are, we should read the Bible, because within the Bible, God has given us some great and precious promises. And so I'd like us to read the scripture together, and after verse 1, I'm going to stop and make a comment, and then we're going to carry on reading. But verse 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Peter is a little bit later on in his life. He's calmed down a little bit, and he's not as impetuous as he was, but he has a deep conviction and a faith that is still a fighting faith. With that, I mean he is still fighting for others. He is still fighting for the inheritance that God has for the church. He's not sitting back, and he's not taking it easy. He's on the front lines, but he's more mature. And a word that comes through often within the book of Peter is the word precious. So here he speaks about the precious promises of God. When someone says they're precious, you better believe it. When Peter says they're precious, you need to understand that it's something that we need to search out and we need to look at for our own nourishment and for our own betterment. And so we see here that he speaks about precious promises in this verse here. He speaks about, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, he speaks about the precious blood of Jesus. So he likes the word precious. He speaks about the precious stone, which obviously is Jesus, and he speaks about the precious Savior. So we see the word precious is very important to him. And so when he speaks about the promises of God, he puts them in the same category of all of the other precious things that God has for us. And so when we look at verse 2, it says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need. Can we all say at the count of three, everything we need? Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Everything we need. This is what the scripture says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own son. By the way, the guys online, ah, I didn't hear you say that, so let's try that again. God has given us, all of the people at home, everything we need. I tell you, this lift group, they're helping you a whole lot because I heard them more than I heard you. But it's very, very important today that we actually realize that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great, and could you repeat the word now? His very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption which is in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, 
and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What an amazing passage of Scripture where we talk about these wonderful promises that God has for us. You see, the promises of God produces something within our lives. And for us to know the promises of God, we've got to read the Scriptures regularly and as often as you can. And it would be good for you to read the Bible daily. Um, and then, of course, the Holy Spirit will illuminate some of these promises to you. And, and last week, we had a look and we understood that there are promises which are conditional on the one hand, and then there are promises which are unconditional on the other hand. There are promises that will come to us that if we embrace them and we ask for them, they'll come. Then there are promises which are totally unconditional in nature. And um, those promises we talked about last week, and I'm not going to re-emphasize that. But we also see that there are warning promises where God warns us of certain things within our lives. There are saving promises where God says, I am your refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Beautiful song. You know, those are saving promises. Um, there are motivating promises where Jesus says, you know, a bruised reed, he will not break, and he will not snuff out a smoldering wick. That's a wonderful motivating promise. So if you're hurting today, Jesus will come, and he promises that he'll be inside your life and inside your circumstances. There's guiding promises. If you acknowledge me in all of your ways, the Proverbs writer says, I will direct your path. So that's conditional. Even when you combine the Old and the New Testament together, they're still conditional. There are lifting promises to lift you up. There's hopeful promises. You know, and so we can talk about so many of the different promises that God has set forth for you and I to live in, and to really thank God for. I was not here yesterday to pray. We had a birthday party here yesterday afternoon, and so in the morning I just went for an amazing walk, and I saw Candace on the way. She was on the bicycle, and we talked briefly, and um, then I was on my way, and I went for about an hour and a half walk, and just to pray for us today, and to pray for my family. My oldest son is, has turned 25 today, Ryan. And I was just praying for my son. And I was just saying, Lord, what are those promises 
that I can ask you for Ryan. And so I found myself walking down the road and just quoting some of the Bible verses concerning the promises of my faith. And then I started to refer to myself as a parent. And I said, Lord, where have I done well with Ryan? Where did I not do that well with Ryan? You know, and I had this feeling within my heart that there's just some of um, maybe repenting within my own heart. And I hadn't done that for years when it comes to my children because I think Jen and I have really tried our best with our children. When we brought up our children, we kind of had um, the sense within our heart that we want to have a no regret faith when it comes to our children. And so we made sure that we did certain things, put certain things in place, and we really have tried to do our best. But it was just like as I was walking, I said to the Holy Spirit, is there anything that I've done as a parent that I haven't repented yet concerning my two sons? You know, and it wasn't a heavy guilt-laden thing at all. I don't live in guilt. But it was a wonderful moment with Jesus where I could just say, if there is anything within my blind spot that I've done, that has not been helpful to my children. Lord, I just come. I open up my heart and I repent of it. Today. I use the word repent. I wanted to use the most strongest word. Have you ever said, Lord, I just want to say I'm sorry. Have you ever said that? But we can't get actually to the place where we say, I repent. It's kind of like a strong guttural word, you know. But I thought I would just get to the place today where I just said, Lord, I repent if there is something that I haven't seen. And you know, it's a beautiful place to be at because God doesn't condemn us in these moments. And that's part of, you see, when you know the promises of God, when you walk daily in the promises of God, you can actually be real with God. You place yourself in that position and I don't feel one ounce of guilt whatsoever because I know the promises of God. I think sometimes we feel guilt and we live in guilt because we don't know the promises of God. We haven't embraced the promises of God and we don't walk in the promises of God. And so there's guilt, there's condemnation. We're not confident to actually stand before God and say, Lord, I repent. People who don't want to use those words, there are other stuff going on within their lives. They don't understand the Father's love. They don't understand the Father's provision through Jesus on the cross because the gospel makes us fit to stand before in confidence. And, you know, it was a, such a special moment when I actually could just walk and say, Lord, it's just you and me, but on behalf of my sons, I just bring my heart to you and I open it and I actually repent. He said, Pete, how could you do that? Simply because... I trust the one who made that promise over my life when he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans chapter 6. And then you go into Romans chapter 7. No condemnation. And you know, I believe that promise so I can walk in that promise daily. And I just prayed for my sons, but particularly for my oldest son, my firstborn son, and just covered him in the prayers of his father. It's beautiful, it was wonderful. You see, my friends, when we start to understand the scripture, when it comes to the promises of God, and as we step into the promises of God, 
And Peter speaks a lot about faith in First and Second Peter. When we acknowledge, when we receive, when we live in those promises by faith, what I did yesterday morning as I prayed that prayer was a prayer of faith. It was a statement of faith because faith is always based on God's truth. And that brings freedom. And these are the type of promises that I'm talking about today. And that Peter is explaining so clearly to us today. So the promises of God indeed is precious. I had a pastor that I worked with in South Africa for about six months, nine months in his church. I was in an area of the Eastern Cape, and they had brought me in from a certain church group just to do circuit ministry amongst the farms and the churches in an area called Elliot Barclay. Some of the South Africans would know it. And there was a pastor there that whenever he addressed his wife, he called her Presh, which means basically precious. And whenever he talked to her, he would say, hey, Precious or Presh, could you come here, please? You know, and he loved her, and I just loved the way he treated his wife. Men, treat your wife so well. Speak to your wife tenderly. You know, just, we can never speak nice enough to our wives. And Mark Starbuck was his name, and he's in England now, just taught me that by the way he spoke about his wife. And there was that affection. And so when Peter says, you know, these are precious and great promises, you know, there is a sense of great affection when he speaks about these promises because he knows that these promises has helped him to know his God. You see, a promise is only as strong as the one who makes it. And when you know God and he makes a promise, you know he's going to keep it. He's the promise keeper. And so when you know God and when you know your promises, let me dare to say this, when you know the promises of God, you get to know God a whole lot better because of what he says and what he says to us. Because if God is to be trusted, when he makes a promise, it speaks about his character. And so when we go through these promises within the word of God, when we discern what is conditional, which is not, when we understand what is a personal promise and what is not, which is more of a national or corporate promise, when we go into all of these things, old covenant, new covenant, see it in the context of the new, the old, and we read the promises, and I know it gets very complicated, but don't make it so complicated. The theologians at the end of the day are completely lost sometimes because they get so hung up by all the little things, and they forget that God has made these promises to you and I because we're his sons and his daughters. And he makes these promises to us, not as slaves, but as daughters and as sons. And there is a sense of great affection when God promises us these things. So my friends, just very practically, this morning, when we live daily in the promises of God, and my friends, in the days that we live in, just like when Peter lived in these times of persecution, the promises of God had a greater meaning because it produced a number of things within his life. And so we see here that Peter teaches 
that the promises of God will produce spiritual growth within our lives. Because as we want to embrace the promises of God, which enriches us in many ways, he says the character needs to be there to sustain that promise. So, so it um, produces spiritual growth within our lives. So Peter lists seven characteristics of a godly life as we grow in Jesus, that is the foundation and that sustains the precious um, promises and the pressure that these promises puts upon our lives. And he says that um, his divine power has given all of these things. And he says, for this very reason, make every effort in verse 5. Make every effort to add to your faith. Goodness. And so he carries on and he speaks about these qualities and he says in verses 5 to 7 that we need to um, add virtue to our lives. And it's very interesting when he uses the word virtue. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your uh, and, and goodness. You know, so, so the word goodness is kind of like virtue. It's an English word that we don't use often, but um, they've translated it in the NIV into goodness. And what it actually means is to be truly committed in what you do for God. And as I was playing around this with this verse, you know, he says, add to your faith, faith this excellence, this goodness in the form of being truly committed to what you do. And then he says, you need to add, um, he says, uh, you know, to knowledge. Um, he says, Add knowledge to virtue or to goodness. But this knowledge is actually discernment. I was with a couple of guys on Friday morning at 7 here, and we were talking about God's Word. And I said, the one thing that is most important within our Christian life is that we need to have discernment within our lives. And for us to live in the promises of God, the thing that sustains the pressure is when we add discernment. To the excellence in what we want to do things. Discernment is amazing. I remember early on within my Christian walk, and particularly within my ministry, I used to operate solely on principle. Principles you find in the God of wo God's Word, and, and on principle, and I used to conduct decision-making based on principle. But I had to er add another element to my leadership. It was not just principle but it was discernment. My friends, if you only bring up your children with principle, you'll lack a vital aspect to balance out your children's development, and that is discernment. Discernment is a combination of the Word of God and the Spirit of God coming and giving you something now for your children. And you'd be able to apply principle correctly to the situation. You see, what we are pretty poor at doing is to connect the dots when it comes to certain things. You can add truth or principle to the lives of your children, but that's only one dot. You need to look at the dot of discernment. Then there's another dot, there's another dot. Where we start to connect those dots holistically, we'd be able to parent. Better. Some people are better principally, do this, do this, do this, do that. 
Other people are just discernment. What should I do now? No, we must combine the two. And this is what Peter is saying to the church here. He says, these precious and great promises that God has for you. Come on, guys. Add these virtues to the promises of God. He speaks about self-control. He speaks about patience. He speaks about godliness, which means a God-likeness. He speaks about mutual affection, which is kind of like a friendship love. The word phileo in the Greek is used here. He uses the word love, agape love, a sacrificial love. My friends, even in the times that we live in today, the decisions that we meet, make daily, should we come to church on a Sunday or not? My friends, we need to take all of these virtues and we need to connect the dots. I find that we are very poor in connecting the dots. Let's learn how to connect the dots over this period of time and we'll have a holistic understanding of what God is requiring of us during this time. And we see here that this is a wonderful example of Peter saying to the church, yeah, there are all those precious and great promises in front of you, but make sure that you work on your character and on your maturity. I believe as we work on our maturity as Christians, the Holy Spirit will give us greater insight into the promises that God has placed upon our lives. Is there anyone who would say amen to that? You know, like for instance, that red box that I talked about last week um, that I grew up with that my mom put next to my bed, uh, the bread of life promise box. And when you slip it up, you just go and you take one of those promises out and you say, mm, this is the promise for me today. But you take one of those promises out and, I, and it's uh, kind of like a promise I don't like. And I say, mm, I made a mistake there. And I put that promise back and I shovel the box and I take one out that I like. It's not the way the promises of God works. As we grow in maturity, there's a greater understanding that comes. And we can embrace those promises. And my friends, do you know what? For me personally, I delight in those daily promises, whether it's a warning promise. There are warning promises, my friends. If you cross this line, this is what is going to happen. That's why I say, you know, I didn't find too many warning promises in that bread of life box. Maybe I'm just not remembering that one. I have an excuse for that. But my friends, let's grow within our character. And so the promises of God indirectly produces a spiritual growth within our lives. That is beautiful. We talk about fruitfulness. The second thing that the promises of God produces is clarity. And I like that. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9 says, But whoever does not have them, and he's talking about those qualities within our lives, that maturity, whoever does not have them, in verse 9, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. When we're no longer growing within our walk with Christ, when we treat our faith casually as a little add-on, 
when we're not stepping into the fullness of God and embrace his word and walk with him daily, my friends, um, we become nearsighted. That's why I see a number of us here either have glasses on as we look at the Bibles because we've become either farsighted or nearsighted. And some of us a little bit blindish. So I've got contact lenses. I've got a really good excuse why I can see further than probably most of my age group here. But my friends, it is so that the Bible speaks about nearsightedness, which is a step before Christians will become blind. And we don't see clearly what God has laid before us. Now, I do believe that during the times that we live in, for some Christians, they are living their lives and they're making decisions based on a nearsighted experience with God because they are stop growing in God and they are overcome by so many different things. And the Bible says that we actually can't see what God has placed before us. I said to you a few weeks ago, I'm amazed at how quickly we act out of character over this time, which has completely befaddled, what's the right word? Befaddled me. Thank you. Mature Christians suddenly have become nearsighted. And I've asked the question why. I think over these times, other things have become more important than God. And... Um, it's very interesting that Peter tells us that when we add to our faith these things, we again will be able to extend our clarity and see more clearer. We'd be able to see further and we'd be able to embrace the promises of God better. Nutritionists tell us that diet can certainly affect vision. And this is especially true in the spiritual realm, friends. What a believer feeds on will affect the clarity of things and circumstances. I'm asking you the question, home and here, what are we feeding on? Because that which we feed on will affect our clarity. But if we add these things to our faith, those seven qualities, we'd be able to see more clearly of what God is placing before us. But whoever does not have them, those seven qualities, in increasing measure, it's not just good to have them, Peter says, in increasing measure, so it's a continued growth within our lives. No full marks behind the sentence, a comma. He says, when you have them, you'll start to see clearly again. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12 says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So my friends, 
when we live daily in the promises of God and as we add these things generously to our faith, we will grow. And secondly, we will see more clearly. It's no use arguing with people who have a bad diet because people won't see, whether it's non-believers or whether it's believers. Our diet affects how we see. But Peter carries on and says, let's grow. He says, mm, when you add to your faith, there will be clarity concerning the things that you're living in. And then he goes on, and I love this point. He says, as we add to our faith, he says, you'll be safe. Don't you love that? It's the promise of safety when you live in the promises of God and you add these seven qualities to your life. There is a safety. Someone once said that if you walk around with your eyes closed, you will stumble. A Christian who stops adding these things to their lives, the Bible says, will become nearsighted and eventually blind. And that's when we stumble. We need to pray much for one another that we do not stumble. Must say, and you'd say, Piet, you're awfully vulnerable, but I'd rather you be, uh, me be vulnerable than I'm not. I must say, the first few days of this week was really, really tough for me. Just really, really tough. And so I had to make sure that I get into the Word of God, I get into the promises of God, and I add certain things to my faith. I had to add some discernment to my faith. I had to add some humility to my faith so that my eyes can be opened a little bit more so that I won't become nearsighted and blind. What are you feeding on? My friend, feed on the Bible. And I'm telling you, you know, you'll eventually get out of that little slump that you're in. And the first part of the week, it was like, oh, Lord. The second part of the week, I felt like I have found my footing a little bit better. Anybody else can relate to me a little bit? You just find your footing just a little bit better. And... That's what the promises of God produces within our lives. It produces that safety that we need. I don't feel say unsafe in the world that we're living in. I mean, how is it possible for me to feel unsafe in Switzerland? So good to eyeball you for a moment. I live in Switzerland. I know places that are not very safe, and yet... The people who are living in God there find safety in Him because they have embraced the promises of God. It's really not a location, my friends, whether you feel safe or not. It is based on a relationship with God. That's true safety. The relationship based on what God says within His Word. When you understand the gospel, and I won't bring the cross out again, when you understand the gospel, you'll feel safe because it's not based on what you do based on what God has done for us. There is a real safety that we stand on. There's a security 
that we live in. See, the promises of God doesn't just add things to our lives. It helps us to look back to the cross and we feel secure and safe within him. Safety has everything to do with what you see. Point number two. If your vision is blurred, go to your optometrist, your spiritual optometrist, and let him do it. I went to my optometrist, and he was a young guy, lovely guy, and hum. First time he's worked on my eyes, the older guy gave the youngster to me, and we went through a process of five months to get the correct contact lenses for me. And every time I went back, I was looking at that little tally. So much more Franks added, so much more Franks added. They send it back and you fit it on and you say, no, no, they're a little bit loose, they're coming off, you know, all stuff like that. And at the end of the day, he had done a good job. And um, he helped me to see a little bit more clearly. And so I felt so much safer driving and other people were so much more safe. You see, that's the beautiful thing when we start to see clearly is that we feel safer and other people indirectly are more safe. Christians, if you're not seeing clearly, you will affect others around you. You'll affect your spouse. You'll affect your children. When we add to our faith, when we reach out with these promises, there's a real sense of safety within our lives. The promises of God, Paul says in the book of Corinthians, they are yea and amen. That means they are yes and true. So be it. That's what Paul says. But my friends, the promises of God is not only an absolute, but it's also relational. It's a walk of faith. And out of that, we'll either see clearly or we'll see darkly. Let's trust God that we would grow in this as you stand, please. And as the team comes forward, and let's sing together. So Paul says, in 1 Corinthians 13, these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the best is love. I conclude today that as we walk in the promises of God, that we'll grow, we'll see more clearly, and we'll feel safer. And so would you stand as we sing together?